And uh, I'm excited to have the opportunity uh, to, to speak this morning. Um, I wanted to make sure I brought this out later so that you didn't think that there was like a guest singer um, with the worship team. Um, you do not want me singing. I triple check when I'm off stage that my mic is off um, when it comes to singing. And if you can, uh, silence your phones. And not because, not because like I don't want them to go off while I'm speaking or anything like that. No, my phone went off while I was speaking in the first service, okay? So I, I anyway, and... I gave all of my devices to my wife, my Apple Watch, my phone. I gave it to her. It was, yeah, it was crazy. Um, but uh, I'm excited to bring the gospel to you this morning. Pastor gave me the op- opportunity to do that. And I'm excited to continue um, our series reveal. Um, and uh, I will be talking about how we can verify the gospel through our ethics. And if you're like me and I work with students, there's a lot of times where like they hear a word and they're like, what does that even mean? And we have to kind of break it down. So I looked up that word ethics and its simplest form means moral principles that govern a person's behavior or how someone conducts a specific activity. And uh, so when we're looking at ethics and looking at scripture today, just to kind of surmise everything, we're talking about how to demonstrate the truth of the gospel and the way that we live. Demonstrating the truth of the gospel through the way that we live. And I think several of us today can remember when our lives revolved around what we felt was right and wrong. For us, our decision making uh, was based on our standards or our upbringing. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, that is understandable. Very understandable. But if you're here today and you're saying that you love Jesus, that you serve Jesus, then I'm going to take a risk and say something that might rub some people the wrong way. That that type of behavior now is unacceptable. Because now we have to align our lives to how Jesus lived and taught us to live. And that takes work. Here's the tension. Here's what we're wrestling with today. Is that most people are intrigued or interested in observing the church. They're open, open to Jesus. Unfortunately, what closes the door is how Christians represent him. Some, I heard a phone, I heard a phone. It wasn't mine. I knew it was going to happen. The devil's in the devices. Anyway, um, and instead of a cell phone, actually, I was waiting to hear some amens in that. Unfortunately, what closes the door is how Christians represent Jesus. Amen. We all got some work to do. We all do. So here's a question for us to, to wrestle with this morning. How's your example of Jesus going? How's it going? I know mine. Um, man, I can have some strong weeks and then I can have some really rough weeks. You can have some really strong days and some really rough days. But it's an important question to ask and constantly ask, how is our example of Jesus going at home? At home. When I was researching this and really diving into the scriptures today, I was broken to the core of who I was. 
on how I was representing Jesus at home. How are we representing Jesus at home? At work. Yes, we can't just go and be about the, the stuff that needs to be done. No, people are, are there. How's our example of Jesus at work? How's it at church? Yes, here, in this building, when we come together, when we're hanging out. How's it going? In retirement, maybe you're retired. Or online, how's it going online as a Christian, as a Christ follower? How's it going? These are just a few of the areas that we are to represent Jesus. And I'm sure if like I open this up for discussion and I'm totally down getting the feedback afterwards, um, please let me know what your thoughts are. How, how is the church, capital C, representing worldwide, globally, locally? How's it going? I think we all kind of speak to that. Some of us may say, uh, what's going on overseas, man? I wish that was happening here. Pastors in Cuba, I can't wait to hear, you know, what, what he comes back and, and tells us um, about and how the trip went. But our text today, we're going we're gonna to jump to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. I'm sorry that in the bulletin it says Philippians. Um, I, I made a little hiccup there. I really wanted to, to dive into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus died on that cross for you and for me. Thankfully, he didn't stay there. He rose from the, from the grave. And empowers us through the Holy Spirit to live for him today. But as I was looking at that scripture, I, I ran across this, this interesting thought. How can a sinful, imperfect person like me, okay? We all have our flaws. We all have our imperfections in the things that we constantly, you know, have to bring to Jesus. How can, how can a sinful, imperfect people imitate God or imitate Jesus? Every time you see God use someone in scripture, he always, always empowers what he requires. That's a good place to say amen. He always empowers what he requires. Yes, we just have to allow him to do that. And as you study and research this letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians, you'll soon discover that he paints this picture of taking off or putting off old clothing, okay, that represents the old life. If you read the entire letter, the six chapters of, of Ephesians, if you read all of that, okay, you get this picture that Paul paints that we are taking off this old clothing that represents the old self and we're putting on, I like to call it the Jesus jacket. Okay, or the garment of Christ, and we're we're wanting to imitate Him and live for Him, and that represents the new life. There is new life for someone in here today, or watching online. There is new life for you. We just have to allow the process of discipleship, where we take off the old and we put off the old self, and we pick up the new that Jesus has for us. Now, I, I want to share a little bit more of my story. I know this is my second time speaking here. And um, I remember, man, before I found Jesus, I was a hot mess. 
I was wrapped up in substance abuses uh, such as drugs and alcohol abuse, dating girls. um, and, And for all that stuff, I lied, I cheated, I did whatever I had to do to experience those things and those substances. But then I, I, I hit a wall and, and I was facing some consequences. And I remember I literally was incarcerated for my decisions. I had to serve some time in jail. But prior to that sentencing, I stumbled into a church much like this one. The pastor was preaching and he invited uh, some people up for prayer. And I remember being in my pew and I was like, okay, or in my chair. And I was like, okay, uh, I, I risked my life on all this other stuff. I think I can, you know, take a couple steps towards the altar that he's talking about and take a risk on Jesus. Well, I got up, I went up to the altar. The pastor looked at me and he said, Shane, do you want everything that Jesus has for you? I said, yeah. He said, step into it. And I took one step towards this pastor and he started to do this. I thought he was going to choke me. (laughs) This pastor knew my past and my mom went to him a lot. Coming at me like this. I'm like, oh no, what's this all about? But he he lays his hands on my shoulders and he begins to pray for me. And I remember in that moment, the very real supernatural power and essence of God fell on my life. I fell to the ground. I started sobbing and crying out for Jesus to save me, to heal me, to help me. And then I got up from that moment and I was completely set free from drugs, from alcohol, from from the relationships that I was in. And yes... It was awesome. It was awesome. And I was so excited and I was so free. And I I felt like all that old stuff was off of me and all this new stuff was was upon me and happening in my heart. And we serve a Jesus that still does that today. You just got to get to that place where you surrender. And you say, "Ah, all of me wants all of you. Take everything. He wants to inhabit his people. He wants to be upon your life and in your life. But I remember after that, I wanted to serve Jesus. And I heard about um, this, this ministry school called Master's Commission. And, and um, I was told about this particular pastor. His name was Pastor Brian Sylvia. And um, I, I uh, heard that he was over this school. And his wife, Rebecca, actually grew up and attended the church that I got radically transformed and saved in. And that he and his wife were over that school. And and their theme was to know Christ and to make him known. I'm like, sign me up. I'm in. I want to do that. But I had some consequences that I needed to face. And I ended up serving a sentence in in jail. And I remember being... um, brought in they gave me uh this orange jumpsuit and and they i only was there for a little while but it was long enough and they wanted to make sure that it really sunk in so they gave me this giant orange jumpsuit that was like way too big for me i mean like it looked like a flying squirrel in this thing and uh you know i I put it on and you know I'm, i'm serving my time and then over uh the course of that time before my mom came to visit me and my pastor that prayed for me and God used mightily, I get an announcement. Um, it wasn't my, my name or anything. And when you're in jail, it's a number, number, blah, 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 blah. You know, you have a visitor. 
I go down the hall, I'm, I'm handcuffed, I'm in this ridiculous looking orange jumpsuit, and I walk down, and there is Pastor Brian. And I sit down with him, and he asked me, he said, do you still want to go into ministry? Do you still want to do ministry school? I said, yes. And uh, I remember signing the application form while I was incarcerated, and I came out of there, went right into ministry school, and uh, we stayed on campus. And I remember one of the coolest things that Pastor Brian did for me when I first went into ministry school. Um, my mom, my mom was single and she was raising, you know, my, my younger brother. She didn't, you know, have a ton of money and I'm new to this church thing. So I needed church clothes. So I walk into my dorm and on my bed are two stacks of shirts folded. Okay. For me that were pastor Brian's shirts, but he wanted to bless me with them. And, and I was like, totally like overwhelmed by that moment. However, it was a big however, okay, I was new in Jesus, and for some reason, my first year in Jesus, I was obsessed with my arms. So I cut off the sleeves of every single one of those shirts. <laughs> I, I don't know, I thought I was the muscle man of my class or whatever. I don't know what I was thinking. And everybody laughed about I mean, these were polos, like with collars. I'm like walking around like, what? ridiculous. I don't have that obsession anymore. It's not as bad as it used to be, Mercy. Don't say anything. Um, so, so um, Pastor Brian, you know, he's, he's being very patient with me. He's like, oh my goodness. And then he you know, pulls me off to the side. He's like, look, I'm going to give you some more shirts. Don't cut the sleeves off of me, idiot. He's like, you need some church uh, shirts. I'm like, oh, okay. So anyway, he was very patient with me. And he really took me under his wing like a dad um, and uh, invested in me and, and, and walked with me and worked with me on my process of what knowing Jesus was all about. And Pastor Brian imitated Christ for me and still does. And we have a very awesome pastor that leads us that imitates Jesus and leads like Jesus. And we need to really grab a hold of that as I'm, as I'm unpacking the scripture today. So let's unpack this text. The scripture starts out by saying, therefore, whenever that word is given, therefore means that there's something before that was written that we need to read. Okay. We have to go back and read the before. And Paul, if you just rewind a couple uh, verses back into chapter four, we're in chapter five and chapter four, he, he talks to us about not lying anymore. Stop lying. And we think, oh yeah, like stop lying. You know, people outside the church, they need to quit lying. No, he's writing to the believers of the Ephesian church. He's saying, stop lying. And I think it's interesting that I, I tell him, I try to teach my son and, and he's starting to get it. He's five now and he's starting to tell lies here and there. I'm trying to catch him and teach him that like, if you do this, you're, you're, people aren't going to trust you. And I have a 19-month-old that's his sister, Shiloh, that's growing up to him. And, I, and we teach kids. But Paul is writing a letter to adult Christ followers to not lie. And we may think, well, I don't come in and just like lie and, you know, get in my way and get what I want out of people in church. However, when I started to research this a little bit, a lot of times we come into church, somebody asks you how you're doing. And you're not doing well, but I know I 
do this a lot. I'll look at somebody and say, I- I'm, I'm doing good. And I'm really frustrated. I'm really dealing with some pain. I'm really dealing with some, some raw emotions that, that I need to process. But I think, you know, I got I to gotta be tough. I got I to gotta, I gotta hold this together. And I really was convicted as I was studying this. Church, we got to get real. If someone asked me that, please, Jesus, I hope I'm doing good when people ask me. But if people ask me this and I'm not doing good, get ready. And listen, we need to be ready for when someone unloads their truth. We need to be ready for someone to unload their truth. Because if we're going to make disciples, we need to, we need to be okay for, to, uh, for that. We need, need to be prepared for that. Don't mask yourself. Let somebody know, Shane, how you really are doing. Are we ready for that? Is our ethics ready for that? Discipleship is messy, y'all. It is messy. Pastor Brian took a lot of time with me. Okay, yes, the, the old stuff was gone, but there was a lot of things that, that God needed to, to wash away. And when it started to rear its ugly head, I needed someone in my life to say, no, that's not who you are. This is who you are now. That was who you were then. This is who you are now. Discipleship is messy. And we need to be ready for people to unload their truth. It also says, Paul writes, don't get so angry that you sin. It doesn't say do not get angry because I get angry. Y'all get angry? If you get angry, raise your hand. Come on. Y'all do. Come on. We get angry. It doesn't say do not get angry. That's like impossible. I'm going to get angry. But it says so that you do not sin. Anger. Internal emotion. I'm angry about how something went down or how I was treated. Wrath. The external, that which is sin. When we attack someone or we come at someone and we know that we are in the wrong, we're just so angry we can't control ourselves. And as he's writing about this, do not get angry so you do not sin. He also writes so that the enemy, the devil, does not have footing in our life. So that he does not get his foot in the door. Because if the devil gets a chance and if he gets a foot in the door, he's going he's gonna to want to take over. And when we start allowing him to come in, we're not imitating Christ. We're imitating the enemy. And that's a scary place to find ourselves in. I don't want to imitate the enemy, the devil. I want to imitate Christ. I want to give Christ access to that, to that door. Not not the enemy. And I think there's, there's a healthier way to process our anger. I don't know if you knew this, but there's actually um, these new uh, uh, places that you can go called rage rooms. Okay, there are rage rooms in Tampa. Okay, you go and you pay a fee and you show up and you're all angry. Yeah, I've had a bad week, but you know, like you're mad and you get to go into this room for 30 minutes with a baseball bat and bust stuff up. I haven't done it. Has anybody done one? Okay, well, all right. We're all, we don't know anything about it other than what I'm telling you. That's good. I think that's, I think that's good. But I was thinking about that. I'm like, if I showed up to this rage room and I'm sitting next to someone that's about to go in, like, how awkward that must be. Like, you sit next to the person like, how you doing? Not good. 
That's why I'm here. Uh, okay, well, have a good time. They look at you. You want to come with me? You want to go in the rage room with me? <laughs> no. No, anyway, so the rage rooms, I mean, I think there's healthier ways. I actually did some research on that, and it's kind of de- like like middle of the road. Like some sci- scientists believe that it's actually beneficial, but there are a lot that say that it's not good for you to do those rage rooms because it, it, um, it uh, reinforces a really unhealthy behavior. So I'll let you kind of decide. If I see you at a rage room, I won't judge. Maybe I will. I don't know. I won't talk to you. I know that. I ain't talking to you. I ain't saying hi. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think a way to process our anger is prayer. I know it's like it's easy. We throw that at everything. But no, seriously, pray about the anger. Pray about what, what's happened. And then if prayer is like, you know, you're kind of capped and you, can't, you really can't get things to calm down, talk to someone that you trust about it. Process your offenses, pray over them, have a plan, and let them go. Now, I do think that we can inventory what was done to us, the pain that we, we felt. Like, we can, we, can, we can hold on to that for a moment to learn from it, like, and, and, and grab some wisdom and knowledge from it. But we cannot hold a grudge. The second that we don't forgive, we imprison ourselves. We imprison ourselves. The next thing that Paul talks about is stop stealing. People in the church stealing. What's going on with Ephesus? What's going on with this church? Stop stealing. But then I did some research and, you know, we may not necessarily steal material things from uh, from each other in, in the church. But maybe it's talking about stealing credit for something that wasn't yours to begin with. Someone else is doing all the footwork and you kind of sneak in and you just like, appear there next to that person looking like you got all the credit and maybe you take the credit for that kind of stuff. You steal the credit. Or how about this? You, you might know somebody that's an insecure leader. You've walked through a season or two of this where they're an insecure leader and they are stealing control. It's happening in the church. Insecure leaders. They, they, have, to have, they have to have everything be about them. And when someone else steps up to, to bring their ability and their gifting, they steal it from them. Because of their insecurity, we steal control and limit others. That should not be, especially in the church. We should empower others to walk in their gifts, especially if they're aligning with Christ. And they're better at it than us. Amen? It's all good. If you're better at something than me, I'm going to let you run it. As long as you love Jesus, you go for it. But then it does get into the materials. There, there are things, yeah, that we might take that are materialistic. But the one thing that really just hit me is wealth. And, um, you know, 20% of the church gives. That means 80% doesn't. And I'm just going to leave this out there. I'm not going to go down this trail. But, you know, God wants us to trust him in our finances. And that 10% or the offering that, you know, maybe asked for, you know, each Sunday or from time to time, you know, giving to Cuba and stuff like that. You know, we have an opportunity to give. And God may speak to you in that. Because we don't want to rob God. We want to, it's all his anyways. He wants to utilize those things. And then Paul goes on to say, stop the dirty talk. Okay. The obscene, inappropriate, slanderous, and gossip-centered talk. Then he says, stop hurting the Holy Spirit failing to acknowledge our need for the Holy Spirit. 
because we want to live our way disobediently and selfishly. Then it says, don't be bitter, forgive like God, having no strings attached. And that's challenging. That is difficult. But once again, God empowers what he, what he requires. And some Christians are bitter because someone took advantage of your Christ-likeness. Okay? It's going to happen. Sorry. It's going to happen. Don't allow bitterness to come in. If, if someone won't receive your Christ-likeness, find a place that, that, that will. Find someone that will. The scripture goes on to say, be, and, and it's present tense, okay? It's saying, put on Christ, or imitate Christ, okay? I feel like I'm back at prom again, okay? It's prom season, so here we go. It's saying, don't wait, don't wait, put on Christ now, immediately. Don't wait till you're good enough. Do it now. It's a call to practical action, going beyond our inner life and saying, Jesus, I want to show people who you are. It doesn't say be imitators of a God of our own interpretation. There's a lot of people that have this view of God. No, get in the gospel. We need to get into the gospel and understand what our God represents, what Jesus represents. It doesn't say be imitators of the denomination that we are a part of. It doesn't say be imitators of, of Paul, who the Holy Spirit inspired to write this letter. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say think about, admire, or adore God. No, it says imitate him. Which means to mimic, to, to follow Christ's example, to, to be an obedient to his ways. And I like this part of the Greek definition. It means to have someone notice the Christ likeness in you without you consciously thinking about it. You just, you're, just, you're just serving Jesus and people recognize Jesus in you just because it's part of who you are and how you live. And somebody needs to hear this right now. It says, it says as beloved children, you are loved right now. You are loved right now. You do not need to wait. You do not need to wait. You are loved at this very moment. And then it says to walk in love. I think we should switch it up because I feel like we do pretty good walking around. We respect each other. We love each other. We're good. We, we walk around. We encourage each other. Nice jacket. How you doing? You know, that kind of stuff. We, we're pretty nice as we're walking. It's the driving. They need to change that to drive. 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 Jesus wants us to walk in love. He wants us to walk in love. And if our actions line up with the gospel, then people may give us the opportunity to speak it. Let me say that again. If our actions line up with the gospel, then people will give us an opportunity to speak it and share it. It has to be spoken. I will say that. It, it can't just be shown. People need to hear God's word. It needs to be spoken. gives and forgives, and he offers himself as a sacrifice. And not only did Christ become an offering and a sacrifice on the cross that we talk about a lot, his whole life was an offering and sacrifice. Think about that. We forget that. We think only about the cross as him being an offering and sacrifice. No, his whole life was that. And he may not require us to go to a cross, but he is requiring us to live our lives as an offering and as a sacrifice for him. So if we're going to verify the gospel with our ethics, we need to become a disciple of Jesus. We need to become a disciple of Jesus. 
And then we need to pursue the transformational presence of the Holy Spirit. We need to partner with the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. Talk with the Holy Spirit. Allow him to fall upon your life and fill your life. The next one is modeling godly character. We need to model godly character. And this is the challenge. If we get the first three right, then we're ready for this last one. Then we can commit to someone else's discipleship process. We're always like trying to bring new people in. Are the people that are already here ready for that? Are we equipped for that? Are we representing for that? We need to be ready. And when we're ready, then we can commit to someone else's discipleship process. So imitating Christ looks like partnership with the Holy Spirit, putting off the old self, working hard, seeking truth, remaining teachable, forever forgiving, being the greatest givers, angry, but pursuing peace at all costs, prayerfully processing our pain, loving being patient and committed to each other's pursuit of Christ-like maturity. That's what it looks like. And if we allow this process to play out, then we can verify the gospel with our ethics and our lives. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for the group of people that are here today. God, I just pray right now that as we enter into a time of worship that we have a better understanding of what you're requiring. And God, it seems overwhelming. It seems daunting. It seems way out of and beyond us. But God, you empower what you require. And I pray for the person that might be here today that doesn't think they're good enough. They are good enough. They are loved. And I pray that they don't wait, that they trust you, that they make a decision to be your disciple for themselves, for their family, and for those that are watching. And for those of us today that do love you and are pursuing you, Jesus, and are learning about you, help us to go beyond the knowledge to the, to the practical. Help us earn someone's respect so that we can share and preach the gospel that is in our hearts. Help us build our lives on you.